The presenting sponsor of Moon Tower Soccer is FVF Law. To find out what makes FVF a different kind of injury law firm, you can visit FVF.law. Hello, friends, and thanks for listening to Moon Tower Soccer. This week, we will review Austin's 3-0 loss against Seattle. We'll preview this week's two matches, and we're going to answer a bunch of listener questions and cover some other Austin FC news. My name is Landon Cottom, and I'm joined, as always, by Mr. Jeremiah Bentley. Hey, everybody, I'm Jeremiah Bentley, and I don't know where you were last Tuesday, Landon, but I was sitting at home on my couch when I got what appeared to be the most random invitation to a press conference that I've ever seen, and that was that the Queen of the Netherlands was going to be making an appearance at Q2 Stadium last Thursday. Yeah, not a, not a press release I was ever expecting to see in my entire life, and much less about a soccer team. <laughs> yeah, but I mean, I think like you... When you get the chance to meet the queen, you take the chance to meet the queen, right? Like you had, we had to take the call, and 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 be be a part of this. Yeah. So we both showed up. Um, I think we both had the same doubts about what to wear when you're going to an event as media, where the queen of a country is going to be. And we both, I think, where we both kind of shot was like to dress nicer than how most of the other sports journalists were going to be dressed, but less nice than the rest of the non-sports media would be dressed. And I think we nailed it. I think we like threaded that needle pretty well. Yeah, I think we, I think we hit that line for sure. It was pretty easy to tell like all the people in the suits <laughs> versus everybody else versus the like assembled contingency from the Netherlands. Like uh, when you, when we walked in, there was like a little, there was a little table on the side for like the official invited people with the gift baskets, little gift bags and things like that. Nobody offered me one of those. Like they could very clearly tell from 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 seeing me, they knew what role I was there to play. Oh yeah, and then after afterwards, they had like the the banquet reception thing, which we just they sent us in the normal door for. And there are people at the door like, do you have your name your name tag yet for your uh, for your table? It's like, oh no no no, I do not have one of those. <laughs> That's not me. I don't have a table. Uh, but yeah, essentially, we get in and the Austin FC media folks kind of explain how it's going to work. And it, it was pretty much like a f- uh, the two of us, Phil West, Chris Bills, some of the, like the network, like non-sports local broadcast people. And then a huge gaggle of Dutch media and like Dutch consulate staff that were all there. Like, I guess traveling with queen Maxima, and so uh, we just kind of followed her from like set piece to set piece. It was like, okay, she's going to come down here. She will talk to Austin FC ownership. She will then walk out onto the field. She will meet Weston Applefeller in a three-piece suit. The Austin FC head, has ground, head groundskeeper. And she got to flip on the lights for the, like, the, um, the grow lights that are on the field, which we'll, I think we should get back to in a minute in a minute. She then walked over and met Josh Wolf in midfield, uh, got to talk talk soccer with Coach Wolf for a little bit, and then went over and met some of the academy players, went over and met Claudio Reyna, and then went upstairs and they signed the papers and announced the, I guess that we buried the lead here a little bit, is that all of this was set up to announce a, a partnership with PSV Eindhoven, a legendary club in the, in the Netherlands. And so went in, did that whole announcement, and then went into going to go into the locker room and meet uh, Drusy and Husen. So Husen's Dutch, so that's his reasoning. And then Queen Maxima is actually 
from Argentina originally, and she moved to the Netherlands and married the prince, which is how she became the queen. But um, we all get like kind of pushed in there, and the players come in expecting the queen to walk in any minute. And it's like, I don't know, 15 media slash consulate people kind of crammed into this one little section of the locker room. And then 10 or 15 feet away, Sebastian Giussi and Danny Houston just like kind of standing there talking to each other awkwardly. And I, I, I guess we could have just walked up and talked to him. There's nobody stopping us, but it just seemed it was like a weird energy in the room at that point in time. <laughs> Yeah, it was. There was definitely an invisible line between those guys and uh, and in in the rest of the media. Hey, and so Weston Applefarrell, I don't, I think he's listened before. I don't know if he does, but that guy looked really good in a three piece suit. Like for a guy that normally wears like a fishing shirt and jeans or whatever on the sideline, like he could, he he could pulled it off. He cleaned up nice. I felt bad when we were standing there talking to him, standing on the pitch that he absolutely did not want us to be standing <laughs> on. <laughs> um. So yeah, after a while, someone comes in and says, I don't know why they're rushing you. The queen's going to be 20 minutes. And so immediately, Drusi and Hussein grab their phones out of a locker and sit down and are just looking at their phones. And so we all just sit down too. And so we're just like sitting in a locker room with Drusi and Hussein waiting on the queen to enter, which was, again, not a scenario I'd ever thought I'd be in. Um, but the whole event was very weird, but very, uh, very fun and like... We're honored that uh, that they let us attend and cover that. So it was a lot of fun. But I, so it seems super random, right? Like, why is the queen of the Netherlands coming to announce this deal about soccer? But once we were there and kind of heard what they were saying, saw all the other people that were there, and um, yeah, just heard what they had to say, it made a lot more sense, right? Yeah, absolutely. I mean, for one, she did not just come to Austin to go hang out at Q2 Stadium, right? I mean, it was part of it was part of an official state visit that involved, I think, going downtown and meeting city council and meeting the mayor. And I think they were what they were going to Houston the next day, so it was part of a trip. But there are and they were in San Francisco before, I believe, and had some California stops. Yes, yeah, so they were they were around, but I mean, there were there are a ton of connections between uh, Austin and the Netherlands beyond the partnership, which I guess is maybe where we should start. You would have maybe talked a little bit more about like the actual announcement of the, the uh, partnership with PSV. Yeah. Um, just one more note about kind of the connections though. So just with Austin FC, there's a few connections. So Marius Haas, part owner of Austin FC is, was recently named honorary, uh, honorary consul to the Netherlands for central Texas. And so he has like some sort of diplomatic role there and part of it is helping increase business relations between the Netherlands and the U.S., specifically Texas. And so Austin FC uses a Dutch company for their grow lights. They uh, have the new partnership with KLM Airlines and now this partnership with PSV. And so just within the soccer team, there's quite a few Dutch connections. But uh, talking about the, the connection with PSV, so the way they announced this says that it, it will feature the two clubs exchanging knowledge and expertise on scouting education, player development, and more. And so this is a, a soccer focused partnership. This is not a vanity thing. And Anthony Precourt came over to the media section and talked to, talked to us for a little bit and said as much like Phil West asked, are you like, is, is the plan to exchange players? Will will that be in the cards ever? And Precourt says, yeah, that's the plan. And so like, even if there's not any players directly exchanged, if we're sharing 
sharing information on scouting, on coach development, on player development. PSV has been a, a youth talent machine for decades at this point. And so if we can get some of that knowledge from them and implement it into the Austin FC Academy, that's huge. And then if players come from that, either going to to the Netherlands or coming back here, then that's that's like icing on the cake to me. Yeah, I, like I get what Austin gets out of it. I'm not sure exactly what PSV gets <laughs> out of it other than more exposure in Austin. And one of the other things that we kind of knew that was happening that stayed under wraps was in August, the Austin FC Academy spent 10 days uh, in the Netherlands with where PSV Eindhoven hosted their U17 team for training sessions and friendly matches. And so that, that was cool to see too. Like we kind of knew that was going to happen and then there wasn't a whole lot of news about it. And I guess it's because they were trying to save it for this, uh, for this announcement that we happened to see last week. Right. And by all accounts, they held their own and did quite well over there, which is cool to hear. But um, yeah, I, I don't know that there's going to be a lot of like headlines coming immediately out of this partnership. But if it seems like at least the Austin side is taking it seriously, it, this could be big. Like it's it's going to be a subtle addition until it's not right. Like, until we send a player over there directly to PSV, which there's not a lot of partnerships like this in MLS. Uh, one that does exist is FC Dallas and Bayern Munich have a partnership, and they've sent uh, youth players over there to train over the summer. Um, they've actually sent players to Bayern Munich uh, directly or like be owned by Bayern Munich and loaned out or things like that. So there is a pathway here and kind of a model for it that um, could yield some pretty exciting fruit at some point. So I'll be very interested to see uh, what comes out of this partnership? Yeah, so I would say for me, like the big the big summary was we got we get this press release on Tuesday. I thought it was kind of odd and strange, and then it was actually like a delightful, meaningful meaningful time. Like I was way I got way more out of it than I thought I would. Yeah. Any other um, any other highlights there that we're missing? I don't think so. I, I tweeted out some of the the pictures of the guys in the suits. They they, they both look very handsome. Um, up close and personal. I'm pretty sure it's as close as I've ever been to either GUC or Houston. And they're good-looking dudes, in case we didn't already know that. <laughs> Very much so. All right, should we jump into the game recap? I guess we have to. Yes, let's do that. I guess we have to. We're going we're gonna right. to find a good angle on this. We're going to find a way to make it interesting. Yeah, I think we have some good takeaways here. So um, definitely, definitely worth talking about. So Austin lost 3-0 to Seattle in Seattle on Saturday night. Uh, an, another in a seemingly pretty long line of flat performances and poor results. Yes, for sure. I would say the flattest and poorest probably of all the ones so far. I don't know. You think it was worse than Nashville? I do. Yes, I do. I think, I think this game was worse than any of the, so what was the one that we won out of these last four? LA. Okay. So yeah, three losses in a row. So, of the, those three losses in a row, I think this is the worst just because there were at least stretches of those other games where I thought we looked like the better team and just weren't able to capitalize on chances. This game was not that. We never really looked great. We didn't really get any good chances. I think we can maybe skip ahead to the stats here, but Austin ended the game with one shot on target that comes from a pretty early Alex ring chance, which it was a well-worked chance to get him open in that space. But then he hits it from 
I don't know, 20, 23, 25 yards out and it hits Stephen Fry in the chest. Like it was never really threatening. Uh, there's two other chances later on that were decent looks, but um, yeah, not really ever threatening, which I, I think is a difference. I think against Portland, against Nashville, in the first half of both of those games, we looked pretty good for long stretches. And then that just, that didn't happen in this one. Yeah, there was never a moment um, when we when we looked like competitive at all. Um, which I guess we, we can get into the reasons behind it. Other, I think the headline is it was bad and it needs to get better quickly. Yeah, so uh, it started with a bad omen that Sebastian Giussi was listed as questionable going into match day. He ends up not on not in the starting eleven, but on the bench, and so that was. Uh, encouraging that he wasn't so injured that they weren't going to play him at all. Um, so this it was of they subbed in Felipe for his spot. Uh, Maxi Ruti was back in the starting lineup. The rest of the eleven was essentially like the eleven that we've been seeing for a long time now. Um, getting into the goals, the first one comes in the twelfth minute, and this one was scored by Raúl Ruiz Diaz, but. I think there is a theme in these first two goals, which was kind of overloading John Gallagher's area of the field and then an Austin player underestimating how fast Jordan Morris is. And that happens in the first two goals. And Rui uh, Diaz hits up with both of them, right? Yeah, and then yeah, and then Rui Diaz just like getting a ball in a place where he's never going to miss from. I guess that's the second <laughs> like through line there. But uh, the ball goes wide to uh, to Alex rolled on the right back. John Gallagher steps out, um, steps out wide. Danny Pereira does the right thing in that he rotates back because Jordan Morris is kind of like floating in the half space there. So when Gallagher steps out, Danny does the right thing and kind of rotates back to cover that space, but he doesn't do it very urgently. And so whenever the ball gets played in behind for Morris, uh, Danny's always two steps behind. He does get there and is able to challenge the pass and he gets a foot on the pass, but it still gets by. He just doesn't get any solid contact on it. It falls to Lodero in the box. And then this is the part that is even more frustrating. So, Nicolo Dero receives the ball in the box near Ruben Gabrielson. So Gabrielson steps to him. Cascante, for whatever reason, also steps to Lodero, either forgetting or is completely unaware that maybe the deadliest finisher in MLS was standing right over his right shoulder. And so he also steps to Lodero. Lodero looks up and sees Raul Ruiz Diaz standing in the box by himself, so he plays it to him. It was a, a, actually a pretty nice finish by Ruiz Diaz. Um, he hits it over Stuver, which is pretty impressive, but it was also point blank one-on-one with the keeper. So he had a very high chance of putting that one in. I think he just made it look a little better than he had to. <laughs> yeah, that's that's now this reminds me. It was this may be the most 2021 of the matches we played because we've seen like situationally unaware Julio Cascante trying to chase guys down who who he can't. And I feel like we saw a lot of that, especially early last season. Um, and it feels like there's something we kind of found a way around for 2022, but it is falling apart now. 
Yeah, to make this moment even more frustrating. So Ring was close to Rui Diaz as well. And I think I saw some people online saying that maybe Ring should have stepped in. I still think that's Julio's man. Ring was kind of covering the penalty spot, which is where like a cutback ball is almost always going to come. And with only the one guy in the box, like the other center back should be marking there. But if you look on the backside of the play, um, Nick Lima is kind of squeezed in to cover just to kind of like mark the back post a little bit. But you have um, Albert Rusnak and Nuhu were standing backside. There is nobody there. Nobody. Once a, there's a long ball played early on, Ethan Finley was pe- pressed up kind of high. He turns around and just starts walking back towards the Austin goal. Maxi Ruti is walking back towards the Austin goal. And so once the play breaks down on that right side, even if they hadn't left Rui Diaz unmarked, there are two unmarked guys on the backside that they could have played it back to and probably scored from there. So uh, it, I, I think it was cast, it was Cascante's mistake, and that was very frustrating, but it was not the only thing that went wrong on this play. Yeah, and so we would see it repeated again, uh, 34 minutes. Row Rui Diaz goal assisted by Jordan Morris and Alex rolled on and another type of breakdown. Yeah. So on this one, um, Lodero and rolled on combine out wide to leave Gallagher in the dust. So again, Gallagher has to step up to cover a ball in and they do really well just to play a little one, two and rolled on's off to the races with nobody marking him. And so Ruben Gabrielson is marked up on Morris in that half space area that he was in a lot. And so as soon as that ball gets by, Gabrielson gives Morris a little push and turns and starts running. He should have been running faster because he was he was like not jogging casually. I think he just should have known like Jordan Morris is really fast. I need to be on an all out sprint immediately. And he turns his running um, rolled on, plays a really beautifully weighted ball in behind. Uh, and so Morris outruns Gabrielson, gets in behind. In the meanwhile, Rui Diaz also outruns Cascante up the middle, and Morris finds him across the face of goal, finishes from about seven, year, seven yards out. Um, so, again, just underestimating how fast he is and then just an overall kind of breakdown for, I guess, mostly people being out of position or not paying attention or a combination of, of all of the above. So Wolf mentioned in the post-game press conference that the press didn't look good enough that there wasn't enough. Uh, I can't remember the word he used, but it's like there wasn't enough energy in the press. And so if you go back to be, the beginning of this sequence that leads, leads to this goal, the press is beaten way too easily. So Felipe is playing in that juicy role, him and Aruti are up top leading the press. The ball goes wide and Felipe isn't really paying attention to behind him. And so he, he doesn't keep Danny Leva in his in his cover shadow there. And so they just easily play centrally to him, which forces Danny Pereira to step up high. And to Nico Ladero's credit, he works his butt off just like sprinting here and there, getting open into the space he got open to. Uh so it's it's the he ends up in the space that you would hope Danny Pereira would have been available there, but because the press gets broken down, he has to step when the ball gets through and Lodero's there on his own. That forces Gallagher to step up. He plays a nice one-two with rolled on, and then they're in behind us. And so uh, it, it was just a complete breakdown 
front to back there. Even even though we point out these individual mistakes, this was these were both team goals that we gave up. I think I think everybody from Austin uh, fans and on the field would probably be pretty happy for halftime to come, given how bad Austin looked in the first half. And we we mentioned how there was well we've already had I think we've we've already had the one shot on goal that was non threatening. But uh, I think, you know, we had to come out thinking that there might be a difference in the second half, and there we didn't see that. Again, Austin continued to be impotent in the attack. Um, the subs didn't make a lot of uh, impact, and we got a third Seattle goal is all we got of the second half. Yeah, so the third one is from a set piece. Uh, the ball gets whipped in. Solid contact is made, and the ball is placed beautifully into the far side netting, just like you draw up in practice, right? Right, exactly off Ruben Gabrielson's broad shoulders. <laughs> it really is impressive. Like, if you couldn't see the player it came off of, you'd be like, oh, it's a beautiful header, right? It, it hits him right in between his shoulder blades. And, like, how strongly it comes off of his back is pretty amazing. I don't understand how that happens. But this is just – it's a stupid goal. Like, I don't – I wanted to be mad at somebody, but – Nobody really did anything wrong there. It's just a stupid goal that happens sometimes. Um, so it's a bit unlucky, but going back again, the foul that led to this free kick was Valencia's yellow. And so, A, it was a pretty needless foul that gave them the free kick there in a dangerous area, but also it's going to keep him out of the next match because of card accumulation. And so a bit of a double whammy there from Johan Valencia. Yeah, it's too bad because we, we finally got him back. There's a chance. We'll talk about it a little bit later about the need for squad rotation. And he's definitely a guy that could um they could help, you know, in terms of Austin being stronger than they might be. And then to take that foul was kind of dumb. And I feel like he should be maybe more aware um of what's going on and, and not pick that up. But here we are. Yeah, so a couple of other individual moments that I wanted to highlight. So I guess our like two other dangerous moments. So Danny Pereira, this is in the, in the first half, Danny Pereira wins the ball high. Uh, we break in transition. He finds himself in the box with a Seattle defense scrambling. If he acts quickly, he has options. I think he has Felipe running through the box. He has Maxi running through the box. He doesn't act there. So he has to cut it back and turn back into the middle. He then has Diego Fagundes at the penalty spot doesn't play there either and essentially just hesitates until pressure comes out and forces him to shoot. It gets blocked and the chance is wasted. And so that's one of the the dangerous moments we had where we didn't act, uh, I guess, decisively enough. And this is like, these are the moments that come to mind when I hear people say that they think Danny Pereira should play higher up the field is a moment like this where as, as, Elegant as he is carrying the ball from deep and as smoothly as he is in those moments, he has really been quite poor in the final third, both with his decision-making and with his ability to, to find and make that final pass in the final third. He just has shown that he can't really do it. And so if you did play him as the eight, I know like Alex Ring has his – his flaws and comes up short in these moments, but he knows where to be and he knows where to look and will try things. They don't always come off, but Danny Pereira seems to kind of freeze in those same moments. Yeah, he does. That's funny. I was talking to my neighbor yesterday and he's like, 
when did Danny decide? Danny Pereira get so indecisive? Um, this is exactly the moment we were talking about. Where it's not new. Anytime yeah. he's in the final third, he's kind of looked like this. So, um, yeah, I don't, I, I don't know what the deal is, but I, I think you would see more of this if you were playing higher up. <laughs> you don't think that, yeah, he, that he would magically solve that. I mean, that's, I guess it's kind of where we are now. You know, um, especially when you don't have Drewsy in. Everybody has their limitations. Right, like no, yeah. like almost nobody is the perfect player for where they are right now, and so you just have to. Josh is like sort of moving pieces around the board to try to balance all these out and make the best decision in terms of uh, who to play. But I think that it really, really stands out when you don't have somebody like Jerusi that can be a difference maker and elevate everybody else on the team around him. Yeah. So talking about Jerusi is like, do we think this injury is something we should be particularly worried about? I mean, any injury is probably something to worry about a little bit, but this seems like a bit of a fatigue injury. Like, he probably needed to take a game off or most of a game off no matter what just because he seems really worn down over the last few matches. So if he comes back at home and looks fine, like, I think it's it's probably okay. Like, we probably would have lost that game either way, even if he was in. So maybe a little bit of a break is good. Yeah, and Wolf said he he said that he had some discomfort, stiffness, and swelling, and like like I said before, the fact he had him on the bench at all um, makes you think it's not super serious. But he said that turf played into the decision into the decision. That's notoriously hard on on joints, and so if he's already hurting a little bit this late in the season, you don't want to risk it on the turf. Um, and you you almost have to think that if this game were closer, that he would have come in a bit earlier, right? Yeah, if we were chasing one goal to make this game a draw or something, you could definitely see him having that true UC magic to come in and try to try to make that up. Yeah, one thing that good that did come from his his short stint at the end is he was also on four yellow cards, but was on his fourth game without a yellow card. So playing any number of minutes in this game. Uh, he gets the good behavior deduction and is now back on three yellow cards. And so that should hopefully get him through the rest of the season as far as yellow cards go, and then hopefully gets him the rest he needs as far as the injury goes as well. Yep. And then we talked cards just to cover this news a little bit. So Valencia gets his fifth. So he's out. And uh, Danny Pereira, did he pick up a yellow card this game? He's one away. I don't, uh, he I don't did re- get one in this game. Yeah, you got- I think maybe, maybe I'm making that up. Let me look. Yeah, it may seem this game the one before, but regardless, uh, Pereira and Aruti are one away from suspension. So we've still got some guys on the edge. Pereira, one away from his, I think it's eighth, because you get one at five. You get a one-game suspension at five and a second one-game suspension at eight. Yeah, Pereira did not get one this game. He got one the game before. Got one the game before. Okay. Um. Yeah, so it... Still something we're going to have to worry about, but it seems like maybe we'll at least be able to stagger them out a little bit at this point and not get three at the same time. <laughs> well, we get uh, Gita back from his red card, so there's that's right. A yeah. little, there's a little bit of relief there. Um, okay, so we are going to answer a bunch of listener questions later on in the show, but we also sprinkled some into our match recap. So the first one coming from Keith Simon, he says in the second Sporting KC match, Wolf brought on uh, an extra winger to replace Pereira. Since then, he's replaced wingers one for one instead. Um, 
and essentially saying like, this seems like a successful strategy. Why hasn't Wolf employed it recently? And I don't really know the answer, but it's a thing that I would have wanted to see in this game. I know Chris Bills was saying this in his game preview, and it's kind of what I would have wanted to see as well. But with Driussi out, I kind of wanted him to move Diego Fagundes inside to that Driussi position and then start Rigoni on the left side. Yeah, that seems like a reasonable change. And there are many reasons why or many factors why Felipe Martins is not Driussi. But I feel like Diego's a better one-for-one one because like the work rate that Diego has going forward and going backwards like matches up with the things that we talk about Driussi being that separates him from maybe other star players that don't work as hard. Like Driussi will chase the ball back in defense and so will Diego. And I don't know if Felipe, I, I don't know if Felipe won't, but he just doesn't have, doesn't have the same skill in doing it. I think that's true, but also as far as just like skill and creativity... Diego Fagundes is the closest that we have to Driussi. Uh, and like, as far as the type of skill and the amount of skill, <laughs> um, I think he's the closest thing we have is like the ability to keep the ball in tight spaces, to make little dink and dunk dribbles to get around guys and then to find passes to uh, shoot from certain areas. Like if you look through the rest of the lineup, like there's not really other guys who can do it anywhere as close to that. So just from a creativity standpoint, I think it would be useful to have him there. And then also like if Juicy goes down, if we do lose him, like just to have a plan B that looks kind of like plan A would be good. And like, that's as close as we're going to get. So Felipe just, he is a different player. Even when he plays his best game, it is not, it does not look like a Juicy game as far as style goes even. So let's get the big question here, because this is the thing. We get a lot of different variations of this in the Twitter questions, and, and we, get, we would talk to people. Um, what's going on? What 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 is happening over the last three matches? Yeah, so like it, it could be a lot of things, right? And maybe a combination of things. Like, is it a lack of rotation, which is leading to tired legs, tired brains? Um, is it like, are they resting on their laurels because of how many points they earned early in the season? And so there's no sense of urgency at this point. I don't know. And it doesn't seem like the players know. It doesn't seem like Josh Wolf knows because they all got asked a million times and all kind of said the same thing. Like, I don't know, but we got to figure it out. <laughs> Thanks. There's stuff. Well, that, well, that guy kind of goes back to before this match. I think Chris Bills wrote that article that had like all the goals, like what the last 10 goals or whatever. And they were all like snowflakes. They're all unique and different. And it was sort of a different set of errors that led to each one of them. And that just seems like all the things are going wrong at this point in time. And it does seem very hard to fix, but it's time to right the ship. Yeah. So uh, for our second listener question here, it's funny to call Chris Wellhausen a listener because he's been on the show so many times, but Chris Wellhausen asks, what tactical adjustments would you like to see made to help with our struggling defense? Um, the answer is like, I don't know that we, we need to change anything structurally necessarily because a lot of times, like even in transition, which has been a really dangerous moment for us, we've been in decent positions. We've had decent numbers, but we'll go in for a challenge and miss. And then that leaves everyone behind you out to dry. Um, so it almost seems to be more with decision-making in some cases, um, a lack of 
intensity or urgency in other cases or a combination of the two. And so I like you could like you could make play a bit more conservatively, but I think we know that Wolf isn't really going to do that, which is his prerogative as a coach. But um, it is really frustrating to look at it. and, And like you said, like each goal is a snowflake. You can't point at one thing. And so, like, I don't know that all the problems are tactical necessarily. It's just the players aren't being good enough. Yeah, and that's that's a hard that's a that's a hard thing to fix, especially um, with these next two matches. You know, we got two more this week coming up, and so it's it's going to be a grind. You know, and we get an international break after this, and maybe that's a chance to to recoup and look at some things and hopefully get some players fresh. But for now, one thing. One thing that I think I would, and I mentioned this last time, is like similar issues in the last few games where we're not being brave enough in key moments to beat a good defense when that team is bunkering with a lead. And so there's just little moments where like they could have played a guy through, but instead turned and recycled the ball back around and like played across to the backside, the far post with one guy in the box or something. And so it's just like little moments where there is like a brave decision and there's a safe decision. And I think the players need to be situationally aware enough to know when it's time to start making the brave decision every time. Well, do you think that a a lineup without Drew like has enough people who can do that to pull that off? I mean, I guess you have no choice but to try, but I mean, I don't, I don't see a ton of, of guys that can execute on those decisions. I mean, it seemed like even Diego was doing it, though. And, like, he's he seems like the guy who will make the brave decision. And there's, like, there's one moment in the second half that I'm thinking, like, we had some really good, like, rotation. It was, like, this this total football moment where Lima plays it wide and makes a run inside, like, making a run behind. It doesn't come to him, and so he drops back into that pocket, and it's, like, ring back where the fullback would normally be Finley wide Lima's in the half space and he's open and he could maybe turn and do a little combination play out wide and ring doesn't play it to him. I like, it's one of those things like, yeah, it's Nick Lima in that spot. So maybe you don't necessarily trust him to do something good with that ball. But these are the moments when you're down two nil, you have to try it. Like recycling it back around is not helpful anymore against a really good defense that's bunkering with a two goal lead. Like you have to try that that pass in that moment. And we just weren't doing it over and over and over. And I think that's been the case in the last several games. So in the the post-game press conference, when asked, like, what is wrong? Josh Wolf said something to the the effect of that Austin FC are at their best when they have something to prove. And so like in these last games, is there enough to prove for them to rediscover that feeling? Like they have something to prove. Well, I think that the rest of the, I still don't think Austin's in danger of losing like a home playoff match, but you see Dallas coming for them. You see Nashville coming for them. Like there's, there have been enough points dropped in the last few matches that you can see that it's the potential that Austin's going to drop down a few spots and have a more difficult matchup in the first round against whoever it might be. So hopefully that is enough for them to have something to prove if it doesn't, you know, if the arguing with the media all the time angle that they seem to be working on over the last few weeks doesn't pan out, like hopefully the position of the table angle will work. Yeah. And so 
this is another listener question from Andrew Urban. He says, last international break, we came out of it on fire. Do we think that we can do that again with the last two games and into the playoffs? So this week we have RSL on Wednesday, Nashville on Saturday. Yes. Yeah, Saturday. Saturday. And then there is an international break, so it'll be essentially two weeks. It's it's the second weekend, but they'll have a good two weeks of rest or like a break there without a game. Um, I think this team could use that right now. Like, I don't know if they'll come out firing, but I don't think it's going to hurt necessarily. It's, yeah, definitely. It's not going to be a bad thing. And so I hope they can come out firing, but if nothing, like if nothing else, they'll at least be rested and we'll have the legs to to push in those last two games. All right. um, anything else on those on this game, Jeremiah? No, I feel like that's about enough about this game. Although we'll kind of get into the bigger picture themes uh, from this and other matches when we get into some listener questions. So let's go ahead and take a break, and then we can get into more of those. All right, hang tight. We'll be right back. Moon Tower Soccer is doing another ticket giveaway thanks to Sage Wilson Property Group for the upcoming home matches. To enter, go to MoonTowerSoccer.com, then click on Free Ticket Giveaway in the navigation bar, or click on the link in the show notes and fill out the form. Again, this is made possible by Sage Wilson Property Group. So if you or someone you know are in need of Sage real estate advice in Austin, you should talk to our friends at Sage Wilson Property Group. And as always, Moon Tower Soccer is brought to you by our friends at FVF Law, the official injury lawyers of Austin FC. FEF is a different kind of personal injury law firm dedicated to community, transparency, and client education. You can go to FEF.law to find out what makes FEF a different kind of injury law firm and why understanding your legal options can dramatically change the outcome of a case. Once again, that's FEF.law. All right, we are back and we have a metric buttload of listener questions that we're going to try to answer real quick. So let's jump straight in. This first one comes from Logan Bartlett. He asks, how does Rigoni fit into the game plan moving forward? The right wing has historically been more of a sprint and cross support winger in Wolf's system. Left wing has the creative freedom, but Diego seems locked in there. Uh, do you have any thoughts here, Jeremiah? I think it's a super interesting question, and I, I do agree with Logan's points going forward, especially this year with the way that Ethan Finley has played wing in this system. Um, but we, I mean... Do we kind of know that Diego likes to play on the right? I guess that's my question. Is when we when we interviewed him, what it wasn't that his preference? No, I think he likes the left. He likes the left. Okay, I couldn't remember. Yeah, I think he likes being able to cut in and combine. And so, I think he was stuck right because Cecilio was more comfortable on the left. And so now I, I think Diego is happy where he is. But I mean, I think I said this on the last show, but I think Rigoni can play the that position not super different from Finley. And just ideally would be able to do it a little bit better. Like no disrespect to Ethan Finley at, at all. I, I like him as a player. I think for the most part, he's been really good this season, but just from us, like a skill and ability standpoint, Rigoni is steps ahead of him to like, to put it lightly, like I, he's a much more talented player. And so Finley's, one of Finley's main strengths is his, I guess, like his tactical awareness within this system and his ability to uh, to just be a really good uh, like role player in the system. 
I think that's where Ragoni is struggling right now. And partially probably due to um, coming into games late and kind of like scrambly moments. But I think once he settles in, he can kind of hopefully play that role the same way Finley does. But then in certain moments where Finley maybe doesn't have the ability to take a guy one-on-one or to like just straight up outrun people in certain moments, like I think Ragoni would be able to do that. And so that's my hope is for him not necessarily to play it that much differently, but just to be better in certain moments while he's playing that role. So do you think that's a 2022 versus maybe Ragoni 2023 thing? Like I feel like he has potential to do more than just fill in that role in a better way than Finley does. That there's like he's got other skills that maybe wouldn't that could be taken advantage of that probably you need an off season to work on just like Sebastian and Jerusi really need an off season to find a spot. Like, do you, do you expect more out of, out of him than that? Like going forward next year or like, what, what do you see? I mean, I don't like, I kind of don't look at it that way. Like I look at by saying you doing the Ethan Finley role. I'm not saying like he should just be doing that. Like I'm looking at that as like an important part of the team because like getting in behind straight, like the the whole verticality thing that people get tired of Josh Wolf hearing, we don't have it a lot of times. And so having like a high level player that's providing the verticality and not just someone who runs fast, like that's valuable. And so if we could have a guy as talented as Rigoni being the vertical guy, I like that. All right, I'm, gonna, I'm willing to buy that then. It's a good answer. <laughs> and then just think of like all these moments, like it hasn't happened recently, but earlier on in the season, all these moments where we're finding Ethan Finley at the edge of the box, like playing a little ball in behind and he gets the ball at the edge of the box and can either shoot like those goals early on in the season that, that Finley scores or little chipped balls to the back post, like to have that much talent in those spaces is, is great. And like, those are the moments that I'm kind of thinking of when saying like playing that same, that same role is okay. Get into that same space, but now you're much more talented. Do more and with it. You're more happens. threatening. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Um, fighting Leslie's will the PSV Eindhoven collaboration lower the prices of Heineken at Q2. This is a great question. The answer is probably no, but we'll see. We'll see. Yes. I don't, maybe, maybe some of the technical uh, partnership could be, technical assistance on pricing concessions in the stadium because i have a feeling that heineken is probably a lot cheaper there than it is here this should be a discounted klm airline ticket to the netherlands and you get a free heineken if you show your austin fc season ticket uh member card i love it all right this one's from kweisenberg how many out of the 12 possible points remaining does Austin need to earn to regain the confidence of the fan base or maybe just you two heading into the playoffs? So I did a little research on this one, actually. I went back and looked at every conference finalist for 2017, 2018, 2019, and 2021, assuming that 2020, for many, many reasons, is like not a year that needed to be in this consideration set. Um, so... What what I found so I looked at the last seven games because like Austin's lost three in a row has four left so the question is sort of what kind of run of form do we need to have into the end of the year in order to position ourselves for success and I would say that everybody other than last year's RSL was playing pretty strong soccer in the last seven matches so they were they got nine out of seven and that was the lowest um, out of anybody the average team was 12.1 out of 7, which is 
1.73 points a game, which is slightly higher than Austin's total on the year. So almost everybody was in pretty good shape for the last seven matches going in to the uh, going into the playoff run. So statistically speaking, we're a bit behind the ball at this point. We're a bit the the closest comparison if we managed to turn it out would be Portland in 2021. They went to the what they went to the cup and lost to NYCFC, right? Last year? Uh yeah. And they had a run of three losses near the end of the year, but then they turned it around and won their last three matches. So they they were on twelve points out of those seven. Um they were one of the lower totals and a little bit behind, but still better than than where Austin sits right now. So I think it is important that we finish the season strong if we're looking to have any kind of postseason success and not end up being sort of a one and done kind of playoff run. Yeah, and like in the end, fan confidence doesn't really matter, but you want the players to be confident as well. <laughs> and so you want them going into it with some momentum. Like regardless of what we think, we want them to believe in themselves. And so I would really like to see, ideally, if we could win those last two games, at least coming out of that international break, going into the playoffs. Um, but really, I like for me to feel good, I would want to see them win at least like three of these last four. So I think yeah, to directly answer the question, I would like to see us get 10 out of 12. That, that would make me feel good about it. And that would line up with kind of where everybody else has been in terms of making, making a run past the first round of the playoffs. Uh, on a similar note, Ryan Riggins asks, looking back over the season, what are the keys, highlights we need to remember to keep a positive outlook through the remainder of the season? Well, I, I, I've referenced this a lot, but I want to go back to what Ad, when we had Adrian Healy on, and he said, you know, you just have to appreciate every moment. And I think, I don't usually go back and listen to old shows, but imagine if we went back and listened to our, like, our season preview show that we would be amazed that Austin is sitting right now where Austin is sitting and probably amazed that we were frustrated about Austin being second in the Western Conference, um, everybody being like unhappy with how they played. So I think it's just, you know, enjoying every moment, you know, enjoying the two bonus game blowouts at the start of the season, uh, that LAFC insane match just, what, a couple weeks ago now when we thought we were the greatest team in the world yet again. I mean, there's been a lot of moments through the year that have been really exciting um, that we should probably take a little bit more time to reflect on than sort of what's going on over the last week and a half. Yeah, this, there's a reason we've lost three games in a row and are still in second place, right? It's because we were really, really good for most of the year and built up that buffer there. In MLS, though, that this is why it's concerning that the, the slump is happening now because all that really matters is form at the end of the season and through the playoffs. And so um, that's I think that's why it's extra concerning at this point right now, but if you look back over the season, it's very clear that this team is very good. And if they do find form, they can beat anybody. And so we'll just have to hope that they're able to find that form again. Yeah, I would love to. At the end of when we're doing the show again one week from today, if we pick up wins over RSL and Nashville, we'll be we'll think that we were foolish for being so like down and grumpy about how things were going seven days ago. Um, I'll ask the next question because I assume this is specifically directed at you. <laughs> I would hope so. <laughs> I would hope so. I would say, I'm going to say yes to in advance, but the question okay. yeah, from Ashley Gill is, do you miss me and how's Tito? Uh, yes, Ashley Gill is, is my wife. She has been out of town for a week and will be gone for another week. Uh, the answer is yes, I do miss you, and Tito also very much misses you. Uh, we're doing okay here, but we're ready for you to come back. Oh, that's so sweet. What's, has, 
What do you is Tito like? Uh, how's his health? Is there any, anything that we need to talk about on air? Or is he fine? No, he's great. He just he's a mama's boy, and so he gets oh, sad when she leaves. Gotcha. Well, of course, that's very sweet. Um, how about Deb Wiley wants to know how to find the after game press conferences? Are they on the website? And this is something that comes up fairly often, and it's uh, something that I'm assuming this is Ryan Madden and, and Steele this year. Like Austin, if you know where to go, is a lot easier to find uh, press conferences, media resources, the like pregame notebooks and things like that. They're all posted online now. I remember at one point last year, I was like downloading uh, press conference files, like posting them on my personal YouTube page to make sure that they were available. So they are available everywhere. Tell people how they can find them. Yeah, so I did not know this. Um, we get them emailed to us since we're on the media list, but they're also being posted on YouTube sometimes, but not all the time. But this little trick, I honestly didn't know this trick until today. So I'll walk them through it. I'm on the website now. Go to austinfc.com. On the top navigation bar, if you don't see the full list, click on the little three dots. Go all the way to the bottom. You see media resources. Click there. Oh, man, where am I going from here? Okay, scroll down, press conference recordings. You click there. It opens up a box.com file organization system, and it has the dates on there. So you have the midweek press conferences as well as the post-game press conferences available to the public. Yep, every single press conference is available there on that site, on the, yep, in the box folder. All right, next one is from, is it Sean LB? Sean LB. Uh, and they ask, I'd like to know if we'll be winning games again soon. Just a brief answer will do. Okay, thanks, bye. Yes. <laughs> I don't know. I hope so. <laughs> I hope so. I think we all hope so. I'm going to say yes. Um, next one is from Jay Nolan. Do you think if we'd had the next pro team this year, it would have helped with some of the recent lack of rotations? Uh, I'm going to say no, because I don't know that more players would have caused Wolf to rotate more. I, I think... Sorry, go ahead. No, I'm, I'm going to agree with you, because we have players who are better than next pro quality, either sitting on the end of the bench or not making the game day roster already. So I don't think that he would change the way he thinks about who should be part of the rotation or not, just because we have more available players. Yeah. I think the next pro team would have been useful for those fringe guys to let them keep getting minutes while they're not getting first team minutes. And so the next pro team would have been awesome to have now, but I don't think it would have made Wolf decide to rotate players more. I think he's, um, playing his hot hand while he was going with those that 11 and maybe it's it's backfired at this point but in the moment it, it I, I don't think it was an unreasonable decision to make up until maybe a week ago is when I think it was probably started to become unreasonable all right My, our favorite name ATX bird camp lover 69 69 420 what is the best shape of pasta soon this is Agnolotti feels neglected yeah, I we I had to Google Agnolotti. It's looks to be some type of ravioli type thing, a stuffed pasta. Uh, do you have a favorite pasta, Jeremiah? I do have a favorite pasta, which actually that, but the setup is good. Do you like a stuffed pasta or just like a noodle that's carrying other things on top of it? Um, I do like like kind of like a fancy like elevated ravioli dish, like a stuffed thing. 
with a nice sauce, I do really like, but I think in general, I would prefer a non-stuffed pasta. Well, my, my favorite pasta is the gnocchi, which are the little potato dumplings. Like, I love Oh, it's those. kind of like the best of both worlds, huh? Yeah. Because they're not really stuffed, but they, you still get like the, the plump texture, which is nice. Yeah, definitely. Definitely a big gnocchi fan. There's not a ton of places around that do it all that well, but done well, like it's an amazing thing. Yeah, and you'd say if you get it with like um, like short rib or something on top of it, like it's a good combination. Ooh, yeah. I want some of that now. All right, uh, next one. We're going to kind of combine a couple of questions here. So from Lucas Laredo and Jacob Schick. So Lucas says, I'd love to visit the Cascante question. I love the guy. I think he's a great, he has a great character. He's been a total asset off, offensively too and for breaking through pressure, but his defensive lapses in the last three games are pretty egregious. How are we feeling about him these days? And then Jacob Schick says that uh, he loves Romagna and that Cascante's defensive play has fallen off a cliff. What has to happen to pull Cascante? Um, I think Lucas kind of answered Jacob's question that Cascante has been an asset offensively for breaking through pressure. Uh, his defensive lapses have happened and they're there. Um, I, I don't know that Cascante is going to get pulled just because I don't think we have anybody on the bench that is, that isn't also certainly going to make a a different kind of mistake. (laughs) Well, we don't have anybody else on the bench that brings the offensive skills that Josh Wolf clearly values out of the position too, which goes back to sort of the first half of Lucas's um, response, right? Maybe, I don't, maybe in the offseason we find somebody that does that, but I don't. I mean, I think Cascante does what Josh values better than anybody else, so I don't see any way that he leaves the lineup. Yeah, I think maybe Kip Keller in a year and a half or two years is that guy, but right now I don't think he is. And then Romagna, um, like defensively, maybe in certain moments he would be better, but I have questions about Romagna's defense. But offensively, he is probably our worst ball playing center back out of the four right but we do love a good lumbering forward run when he gets open space because it's just magical (laughs) um all right this one is from hawk in atxfc he said where'd caroso go uh so in this is this is a whole discussion oh so we have another question here steve steven mackle asks a similar question do you guys feel washington caroso is done before he even starts at austin fc so Washington Grosso has not even made the bench the last few games. He, I think he was in Nashville, so maybe like a game-time decision there, but ended up not suiting up, was not chosen. He was not in the game day roster uh, against Seattle either. Like at this point, it's easy to ask the question, like why did they sign him? Do you have any thoughts on this or theories? Like why like why did they sign him and why aren't they why aren't we seeing any of him at this point? Well, I mean, why did they sign him? Somebody saw some amount of talent in him that thought that he would be able to contribute. And I guess I feel like this is something that comes up with a lot of players like Josh values a lot this work during the week, and I don't think you necessarily see a lot of that when you're recruiting you don't hear a lot about that. You don't see you don't see game film. I'm assuming you don't watch a lot of tape of like guys practicing, you know, midweek or whatever to know who you're going to get. So I feel like the scouting department identified a talent and for whatever whatever reason he's like not fitting in with what Josh wants to do. I mean, it's the 
Pochettino story. It's the, it's to some extent, like the Romagna story. Like, we seem to have a lot of this going on. Do you do you have a different answer? No, it's a similar answer. And and Wolf was asked in the post game press conference about it, and he he said he's got to compete like everyone else. We hope he can find minutes in this next game or the following game against Nashville. So it does seem like Wolf has plans to put him in at least a game day roster this week. But yeah, I, I think my my theory is that we've talked about this before where like when they're looking for players, they have a lot of plates spinning at the same time. Maybe they weren't sure Rigoni was going to get to the finish line. Maybe they're looking at some other guys and it didn't look like any of those were going to get to the finish line. And this guy becomes available, which it came out. They essentially found him like on a forum, right? Yeah. Something that, like, like that. Their agent reached out through this new platform. That's essentially like a chat board to say like, Hey, I've got a player. You want him? And so they found him there. I, I imagine this is in my in my uh, imagined situation here. They look at this guy. They say, okay, he's pretty cheap. He's available on a free loan. I guess, I'm guessing free. Maybe they paid a little bit for him, but on a loan for the rest of the year. We're not sure if these other guys are going to come through. And so best case scenario, like, yeah, let's pick him up. We have room for him. Let's pick him up, see how he does. If if he looks good, then we look like geniuses, and this is a great deal. If he looks bad, like the worst-case scenario is, uh, A, he's not Rodney Redes, and B, we didn't spend any money on him, and so let's just let him go. And so I think it's like disappointing that we're not seeing him, but if if he's not showing to be a competitive option in training and he's like looked not great in the games he's played in, really, except for that one kind of flashy moment in the very first one, like I I'm not that upset. Like I'm I wish we could see him play well, but from what we've seen and from what Wolf is saying, like I'm not up in arms that we're not seeing this guy. It, it just seems like he's not earning a spot. Yes, I think that's probably a point that we all missed a little bit. Is that it was just cause we were excited about a player. Everybody gets excited about every player. I, we did a whole show about every player that Austin got, you know, during free agency last year and it's like a, it is a super low risk deal, right? You just take a shot and maybe it works out and maybe it doesn't. And maybe we pay too much attention to Washington Caruso because he was one of just a couple moves we made like during the window. But there's there's not a lot of downside to making the deal even now. Because um, like you said, the worst thing that happens is he goes back home at the end of the season. Yeah, super low stakes. Like if, if we spent $5 million on the guy and he's not playing. That's a different conversation, right? But because we got him for free, just, yeah, if he's if he's not good enough, we'll just let him walk. All right, did we get through all the questions? We did get through all the questions, so let's maybe preview... I think we can preview these games this week at a different level. I think everybody remembers the Nashville match. Not good, in case you don't remember what how it turned out. Although we had a delightful time uh, in the city. So let's talk about RSL. All right, yeah, you want to run us through kind of their, their recent form here? Yeah, okay, so RSL sits right now 7th in the West, so as of today, Austin would play RSL in the first round of the playoffs at home. Uh, right, they have 38 goals for, 38 goals against. So they are a zero goal differential. Over the last five, uh, they've been a little bit up and down. Three draws, one win, one loss. I believe the loss was their most recent match. Um, and in Salt Lake, they beat us... Actually, not in Salt Lake, in Sandy, Utah, I believe is where they are. Uh, yeah. They beat us 2-1 to one on May 14th. It was a game where Danny Ferrer got a red card. Um, I was looking back at it. Uh, Drewsy had a couple good chances in extra time, one at 90 minutes and one at 90 plus 7 to tie the match. Couldn't quite pull it off. 
Um, so we've got a little bit of history with them. Why don't you talk about a little bit about how they play? Yeah, so <laughs> you you pulled this quote from Mastroeni that says that he thinks the club plays an attacking style, but that you didn't really find anybody else who thought that. And I N- nobody I kind else of agree. Yeah, nobody else, including <laughs> including the players. Which is this is my favorite quote. Uh, Aaron Herrera says, "I think for me, unfortunately, that's always the way we've been." I don't think of being a grit and grind team as a team you want to be. You want to be a team that can t- take it to teams and beat them with your own quality, not just from grind- grinding out the game. But I think right now that's where we're at, which I feel is like the most accurate summary of the way that RSL plays and has played, you know, at least since since the playoff run last year. Yeah, and like they do have some some really talented players. Uh, Justin Miram has been a guy that's been really good for them. Um, they, I think, last time we played them. Jefferson Savarino had been signed but hadn't yet gotten into the country. He's been really good for them. Uh, Sergio Cordoba has, like, I think he started with a few goals and had a big cold streak and then has been hot again recently. And so they are, yeah, I mean, they are, like, I think this is the reason why all the, uh, we've made this joke about uh, Austin FC lately about X-Dog, like, RSL was the reason why MLS people started making that joke is because like they are the highest X dog in the whole league. Just like, we don't know why they're good, but they keep winning and just like keep fighting. And so I think from a talent perspective, um, Austin is better than this team. But if we extrapolate the amount of, like sharpness, effort, fight that Austin has put out in the last couple of games. If we don't match RSL's effort, they will out effort you. And that's something that's a little bit concerning to me uh, because they're, they're not a team that's going to press super high. They like to, they'll defend in a four, four, two, but they'll keep it really compact. And so uh, they'll keep it narrow and compact and keep those lines pretty tight. And so they're not going to let us play through them which is a thing that has worked against us, force us to the wings, and then we're not creative enough to, to create anything on the wings. So I think it's, it's going to be another one of those, like we need to be decisive whenever we get our moments and we need to um, take advantage of opportunities when they present themselves. I think they're less, uh, I don't like maybe less talented than some of the teams that we've played defensively. And so maybe we can move them around and, and create more more chances, but um, they're going to be hard to play through. And I think definitely on the road, this is another thing that we found a quote from Mastroeni, their coach. He said that they're like straight up said they're going to prioritize home games down this stretch. They're fighting for their playoff lives right now, and they have a really good home field advantage. And their their record shows that, and so. Um, if they are going to do any rotation or if they're just going to like try to sit deep and counter during a game, this is probably the game that they're going to do it in instead of next weekend. So, um, the rotation could work into our favor, but them sitting deep and countering, if we can't take advantage of like punching them in the mouth early, it might be bad. Like we've not been good against teams like that recently. So I'm a little concerned about that. Yeah. I don't think you can count. You can count on anything there. Um, I mean, they're chasing points no matter what. So they're going to try to maybe they're going to play their best lineup at home. But like you said, they're going to try to find a way to pick up, pick up something at Austin because they have to. So we talked about their rotation. What do we expect to see 
from Austin here. You know, there's some some potential to swap some guys. We talked about Caruso already. Some, um, like what, what do you think that we'll see? So Wolf said this several times in the press conference that this is a direct quote: "We can freshen up the group in some certain areas." And so, like, it's one of those things where it's like, I don't know exactly what he's trying to say with that, but from that and a few other things piecing it together, I think we're going to see some rotation. And he actually straight up said, like, I was hoping to start Valencia against RSL, but can't now. And so it looks like Valencia was an option. He also said that um, that Rigoni might get a start in this game. I, I think he even mentioned Caroso in that same sentence. That so maybe we see Rigoni start, which I honestly would be fine with. Just if for nothing else to like get him a sh- a stretch of minutes in like a normal game situation, and not late in the game where we're chasing and kind of tactics tactics have gone out the window a little bit. Um, I would like to see him, even if he can't go a full game, just like to get to start a game and kind of get comfortable and and set the pace for himself. Yeah, and then maybe you get Ethan Finley, like a, a, a rested Ethan Finley against a tired defense, like running down yeah, the wing. Super, maybe he's more effective. Finley yeah. has, has been good for us in game. So um, as far as other places, maybe we see John Kolmanich get a start. Um, maybe Hector Jimenez as well. Um, I don't know that he would – maybe he would. Maybe he would swap out both center back, or both fullbacks, but um, – as far as other rotations, like do we do we think he would swap out center backs, like starting center backs? I don't see that happening with 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 how much we've seen from people where we played. You know, in early in the year we had that for a little while, the fullback rotation, right, where we would start one pairing and then sixty minutes in, sort of bring the other one in in relief, and so maybe we can go back to a little bit of that. We were more successful when when that was one of the approaches. Yeah, so maybe the fullbacks. I I don't think. I don't trust either of the other center backs um, to start. And so I think we see the same center backs. Maybe we see one of them get subbed. We have seen, been seeing one of them get subbed in the last few games. So I think maybe that's what he's calling center back rotation at this point. And hopefully that'll be enough. But um, I'm guessing Drew UC will get the start in this game because he didn't play in this last one. And so, and then because of the Valencia yellow cards, Maybe the midfield doesn't look super different. Maybe we still get uh, Pereira, Ring, Driussi, and then I don't know that Aruti needs rotating since he was fresh off of this last game. But uh, what do you, what do you think there? Like, do you think he would rotate Aruti in this one? I don't. I don't think just from what I was seeing, he said freshing up in certain areas. I don't see like an over rotation, and it feels like that's we've talked about a lot of potential changes already. Like I could see Aruti starting this one. And maybe going sixty, you know, and you get some Danny. Maybe you, you do that both both Wednesday and Saturday matches, or maybe do it situationally, depending upon how things are going. Yeah, I think that makes sense. But yeah, I I think it's going to be like two or three key spots that we see new starters, and then that's probably it. But I I, I do really hope we get to see Rigoni start one of these games. I think that would be um, useful from a rotation perspective, and also useful for him just to get a bit more comfortable in this team. Well, let's talk about the Saturday game, too. So Nashville, we don't need to know. We, we talked about it before. We know a lot about them. But they are fourth in the West, only five points behind Austin, but they have played one more match. Um, 
matches happened in between the last time we played was they drew the Galaxy 1-1. Hani Mukhtar scored the only goal in a PK, which leaves him now up 22-20 to for over Juicy for the Golden Boot. And I guess the most interesting thing for Austin, maybe, because Nashville doesn't have a midweek match, is that Walker Zimmerman picked up a red card. So we will avoid Walker Zimmerman for the match on Saturday. That's right. Um, they have done some rotating and have looked okay without him in certain games. So I don't think it's necessarily like a golden ticket to a win, but it is helpful to Austin for sure. I mean, as far as like, how do we make this game different? And I think the answer is we have to come out early and be, I say aggressive and I don't even mean that like tactically aggressive. I mean like physically aggressive. We need to be play with intensity and punch them in the mouth early and hopefully score a goal early because with these teams who are kind of, I'm Nashville has a little bit of safety here, but with these teams who are kind of fighting for something like Nashville's hoping to stay top four. Um, if we can get that early goal and, and get them to step out and, and stretch themselves a little bit, I think that's when we can open up and maybe score two or three goals on a team. But if we give up a goal again early, the way Austin's been playing lately, I just don't have any faith that they're going to be able to come back from that. Especially against a team that's as disciplined as Nashville is, right? That's what we saw in the match in Nashville. So we didn't have any way to break them down once we got behind. So I think goals change games, man. Like we, we hear that over and over and it would make a big difference. And especially those two matches last week, that was the biggest uh, thing was like, we didn't convert on our opportunities. So I think you're right. Like just Austin needs to pull through when they, when we get chances or we could see a fourth bad outing in a row. Yeah. All right. Anything else on those two games, Jeremiah? No, let's hope that we're, we're in a very different tone and full of excitement <laughs> and ready for this run into the playoffs. when we do this again a week from tonight. Yes. All right. Well, before we wrap up, we like to remind you to rate, review, and subscribe wherever you get your podcasts. And then if you want to continue the conversation, come find us on Twitter at LVHero87 and jbentley underscore ATX. Um, sign up for the Patreon. We, we did both Twitter and Patreon questions this week, but going in normal weeks, we'll usually try to mix in some of our captain level Patreon members. So if you would like to uh, have that opportunity, you can go to our Patreon site, which there's a link in the show notes. And then we'd like to encourage you to visit the Striker website where uh, I, 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 oh, I see in the notes, I was, if you didn't have this one listed, I was going to tell you to talk about this one. Go so for it. What, yeah. what can folks look for there? Yeah. So uh, I guess last week, Felipe uh, had some criticism of the Austin Press Corps about how it wasn't positive enough. And Phil West wrote, I think it was yesterday, maybe even this morning. I don't remember now. I think it was Sunday. He wrote it, was it Sunday, Sunday morning after the Seattle game. Sunday morning after the Seattle game, an open letter for Felipe Martins about how um, we all want to love this club and want to be positive, but the performance on the field has not allowed us to do that. And the team needs to perform a little better to live up to it. It's actually, I thought it was a really well thought out, like well-considered piece with a lot of good points about how we all are, right? You know, I think we he even mentioned this, you know, we're all, we all have better weeks when Austin wins. So obviously it's better for the assembled media to, for, for this club to be successful. Yeah. I, I, it was like, um, <laughs> it had a slightly aggressive tone, but I thought it was completely fair by Phil to do that after some of the things Felipe said, like, I don't, I think Felipe is doing it to like, I think he, he's playing a game too, but, I think he did it a little bit clumsily 
and maybe called out some specific people that didn't deserve to be called out. And so I thought it was completely fair by Phil and I thought really, really well handled and well written. And so, uh, definitely check that one out. I really enjoyed it. Thanks so much for listening. We will be back next week with a new episode of Moon Tower Soccer, where we will review the RSL and Nashville matches and cover any other Austin FC news that comes up. Until then, I'm Landon Cottom. I'm Jeremiah Bentley. We'll catch you next time. When no one is around. Think for nothing, you never. La gente. Oh my God.